Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, worship team. Let's give them a hand, guys. Thank you for serving us well. I found out this morning, Matt, Matt who's been in as a, as a guest worship leader for us these past couple of weeks, it's his birthday. So let's wish Matt a happy birthday today. Happy birthday, brother. We're in a series called Thrive right now. I'm going to start by reading this short excerpt from a study. Money is the dominant source of stress for Americans, research shows. The American Psychological Association affirms that money is the number one stressor for Americans. Regardless of the economic climate, money and finances have remained a top stressor. That's a little bit hard for me to believe sometimes in one of the most prosperous nations that has ever existed. Money stress is widespread and it's seeping into the rest of our lives. It's no wonder as Americans uh, that we're drowning in financial troubles. Credit card debt and student loans are hitting record highs. And not only are we drowning in debt, we're also not saving. About one in four Americans don't have a single dollar saved for an emergency. What's more, these money issues are causing more than just some feelings of dread and some skipped doctor's office visits. Uh, Here's some other ways that financial stress often impacts people's health. Uh, Depression and anxiety, migraines, ulcers and digestive issues, high blood pressure and heart attacks, disrupted sleep. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but if I did, my guess is 100% of this room would raise their hand if they've ever felt any financial anxiety. And if I then asked how many are feeling that anxiety right now, probably a lot of us would raise our hands still. It is a profound reality in our lives, which is why I believe that we as a church have to talk about what God's word says to us about money and how we live. The key scripture for this series paints an entirely different picture than that article. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. That's very different than being up at night because you can't stop worrying. That's very different than having so much stress in your body that it's causing you to have manifestations of of bad health just because of the financial anxiety. This is saying there is a way to live, a way to not pursue riches but pursue righteousness that actually leads to us as individual followers of Jesus thriving and flourishing like a green leaf. That's what I want. Are you guys with me? The tough truth is that sometimes the desire for that is not enough. You eventually learn in life that just wanting something doesn't necessarily mean you are going to get it. Our obedience and our lifestyle and our choices have to catch up to our desires. There is the practical reality that our decisions lead to outcomes. And my hope for this series is that you will not just be able to declare, yes, I want to thrive like a green leaf in every aspect of my life, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and financially, but I want to take seriously what God's word says in order to get there. Someone has said it before, we are often educated far beyond our level of obedience, meaning we just keep learning and learning and learning. And it's not bad to keep learning God's word, but but take heed and make sure, at least at some point, you're like, am I obeying what I'm learning? Am I bringing this into actual practice? So I'm praying in this series called Thrive that all of us together, wherever you are on your financial journey, can take even more steps 
towards thriving in the way that God would call us to financially and more practical steps towards obedience. Last week was part one. We looked at learning contentment. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go back to our website and listen to it because it gets to that initial heart place of, am I even content at all? Because there is such a temptation to look for riches to bring us our contentment, our satisfaction, our fulfillment. If we can deal with the contentedness of our hearts, we can make a huge difference right off the bat. You can make more money immediately by just spending less money. And that has to do with contentment. Today, we're going to talk about think differently. And in part three, we're going to talk about trusting God completely. And let me clarify, the point in this is not to get all of us making more money. That's not what thriving means, though sometimes it might mean that. It means that you will thrive whether you have a lot or whether you have a little and you will have peace. I've talked about shalom a few times in my prayer today. That's the word for peace, wholeness, a fully integrated life that is settled. Doesn't that sound amazing? It's a breath of fresh air, and you can have that shalom in your finances even when you don't have a lot. Any of you that have ever been there, can you attest and say amen to that? I've been there many times. I felt like there was much more that I needed, but God can give you shalom even in the midst of it. So even if you're really struggling today, that's my prayer for you. Our primary principle for the series is to make obedience to God your strategy in financial planning, your primary strategy, because his way works. Thrive means to grow or to develop well. The Hebrew word parak means to bud, to sprout up, to flourish. May we flourish as God created us to. Today, the title is Think differently. And we're starting with one of the very first things Jesus ever said, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I want to start by reminding us that repentance is not a bad word. It's a beautiful word. There are some oftentimes hate-filled Christians that use the word repent to beat people down. You know, Repent or you're going to burn tomorrow, and I'm going to hit you with this sign to prove it to you. Not the right strategy, in my opinion, but that's made us think that the word repent is something like, it's like, it's like fire and brimstone. Like that. But repentance is not a fire and brimstone sermon. Repentance is an incredible invitation. It's a gift to think differently. The actual Greek word metanoia means a change of mind resulting in turning away from sin and turning towards God. So the the very word repentance that Jesus, his very first thing that he said to proclaim the kingdom was think differently because the kingdom of heaven is coming near. If you begin to think according to what God's word says, it will begin to actually change how you live, turning away from sin and towards God. The more true repentance takes root in you, that's why you actually see life change. When your mind actually changes about a certain situation, your decisions then follow suit. But it all starts right here. We must think differently. We must not just take at face value what our culture or what our world might tell us about how to handle finances. There may be good principles to learn there and some wisdom, but that's not where we're going to get the full picture. So I want to submit to you that there must continually be a shift from our plan to his plan in how we approach our finances. And let me encourage you, it's not like you just do this once. 
I think repentance is a lifestyle, and I believe scripture lays out the case for that. And that's good news because it means even though we are flawed, we can keep returning to the Lord and we can keep changing the way we think. I did it with my family just yesterday because Friday night, um, this happens to pastors too, I was in a bad mood. Anybody ever get in a bad mood on a Friday night? No? Who said that? Come to the altar. I got in a bad mood. I'm not going to go into why. And I didn't do perfect at hiding that. And I didn't treat my wife and my kids perfect that Friday night. Anybody ever fallen victim to that? And I didn't deal with it on Friday night. I went to bed with it. So I sinned again there. And on Saturday, uh, around the table at one point, now I wasn't like terrible and, and don't, I'm not like, I wasn't like abusing them or anything. I don't want you to, your imagination to go crazy here, but it wasn't great, right? And then on Saturday, um, they were all sitting at the table and I confessed my sin to my family. And that's not tooting my own horn. It's just saying, this is the lifestyle we're called to. I said, hey, I was really wrong last night that I had a terrible attitude. It wasn't your fault. And all my four kids were there too because they're all old enough now to fully be a part of this. They realize it. Even little toddlers, they sense the room. Have you noticed that? They, they sense it before you even say a word. They can sense what's going on in your spirit. And so I apologize and I ask for forgiveness. And that's me also modeling repentance for my family and my kids. And, and I want to be the chief repenter in my home. I want to be the chief repenter in this church. I will, I will fight you to be the number one repenter in this church. That's who we're fighting over. Not who gets it all right, but who repents the most, right? That, that could go bad. I'm just joking. But repentance is a gift. And why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus said, think differently because there's a whole new economic system I want to teach you about when it comes to finances. Of course, a whole new system of all of life. He wants you to think differently about everything in your life, and it includes your financial decisions. There's a great quote, and let me preface before you put the quote up there, that I think frames really well part of how we think differently. And I've shared this before at Graceland Church. This is one of my annual go-tos, and then I adjust it a little bit each time. But we're going to look at the beginning of it today. It's from a, a gentleman named John Wesley. He said, having first gained all you can, and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. And I want to clarify those three for a few moments. Gain all you can. In Luke 16, 1 through 13, listen to this story that Jesus tells. Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports from that. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired. And I want a complete audit of your books. So bad day for that guy at work. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their houses. Then he went at it. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He replied, a hundred jugs of olive oil. The manager said, here, take your bill, sit down here quick now, write 50. So he told him to lie about it. To the next, he said, and you, what do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill, write in 80. Now here's the surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard 
than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. This is a fascinating parable that Jesus told because he's affirming someone who is lying and cheating and stealing. Now, it's important to notice what he is affirming here is the shrewdness and what the message translation here calls the street wiseness, if you will. But then he goes on to not approve of the rest. Reading on, Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. So it's just a fascinating instance where Jesus is sharing some things that are not what we're used to hearing. He's saying, I want you to be like the crooked employee, but for what is right. So he's actually saying that we as Christians, I believe, are not called to just say, hey, whatever God puts in my lot, that's it. It's over. I'm done. And I shouldn't dream about this. I shouldn't shouldn't try to come up with a strategy to gain anything else. Quite the contrary, he's saying, have that same kind of shrewdness, but for what is right. He's essentially affirming it is a good thing to have the skill set of generating income. That seems obvious. Why? Because we need money. Money in and of itself is a good gift. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. So I want to affirm in you something that we just don't hear in church a lot, especially this is not prosperity message. This is just basic, true to the scripture. It is good to work hard to gain money. And it is good to think about ways to gain more money if you need it. But he's careful to say there, you got to make sure there is honesty in your heart because it's is a sub point is we must make sure that we are serving God and not money. Cause he goes on to say, you'll either, you can't serve both. It's so extreme that he says, you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll love one and hate the other. So our affections, our hope and our trust must be in the Lord, not the money itself. If that's in place, it's good to gain as much as you can but you've gotta be honest about it. Last week, the text we looked at talked about, do not be eager to get rich. If you find eagerness for richness in your heart, you wanna be really careful about gaining all you can. You you wanna take a step back and let God speak into that because you will end up hurting yourself and those around you, and you'll be disappointed at best with the outcome of gaining all you can. But if you are serving God, and this is next in your notes, you were called to work honestly but shrewdly in gaining money for the purposes of the king. Work honestly and shrewdly in gaining money. It is a gift. Scripture even teaches that some have a a special touch on their life of generating wealth, but it's not so they can be 
like ultimate rich and high above everybody else is so they can utilize resources for the purposes of the kingdom of God. This third sub point is one to really cling to when you think about gaining. Never gain at the expense of others or your own soul. And you have to be really honest about that. It's hard to know the line sometimes to have the self-awareness of, am I gaining at the expense of my own soul? We looked at the regrets of the dying a little bit last week and some of the final regrets people have on their deathbed. And one of the most common is that I worked so much and I didn't enjoy the goodness of life more. And that oftentimes is the result of a mindset of gaining so much, I need so much more, and it was actually at the expense of my own soul and I didn't realize it. Especially in the culture of America where overwork is praised. Not everywhere in the world has the same value system we have. Work is good, but overwork is not good. A hurried lifestyle that always needs more and, and that runs away from contentment because it's always the next thing we have to have is not good. We're not called to live like that. Hence, think differently. Think differently. In 1928, a group of the world's most successful businessmen met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. This is a true story. It's documented. The following were present. The president of the largest utility company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, one of the greatest bears on Wall Street, and the president of the Bank of International Settlements and the head of one of the world's greatest monopolies. So these were major financial players in the world. Collectively, these tycoons controlled more, than, more wealth than there was in the entire US Treasury. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of the nation to follow their examples. 25 years later, after that meeting, this is what had happened to each of these men. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and he died completely broke. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard, Richard Whitney, served a term in prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, along with the president of the Bank of International Settlements and along with the head of one of the world's greatest monopolies, Ivar Drugger, all committed suicide, three of them. All of these men had learned how to make money. They had learned how to gain, but not one of them had learned how to live. We must never gain at the expense of our health, our family, our neighbor, our walk with the Lord, and our own soul. But at the same time, when we get into a healthy place, we must gain all we can. Leads to the next part of this framework. Save all you can. Having first gained all you can, then save all you can. What Wesley was getting at here, and what I believe scripture is getting at, is not just put it all into barns, like save it in the bank account as much as possible forever. I believe it's speaking more to saving by not spending as much and not spending as frivolously. So you are actually, we talked about this last week, if you spend less, you will have more and there will be more that you can do good with. Tracking with me on that? So that's what we're talking about by saving. Our pastor emeritus here, Pastor Duncan and his wife, Miss Diane, are 
tremendous models of this. When they think about how 10 cents is gonna be spent, they take it very seriously. Some of that is generational with their generation, but I think that we need a bit more of that in our new up and coming generation where we think 10 cents really matters. Like, because 10 cents matters. A penny saved is actually a penny earned. It's not just an old, silly statement. And to Jesus's point, whatever we do with a little bit is the same thing we're gonna do with a lot. I've had to receive conviction by the Lord on this. My wife in our early marriage was always trying to get me to like buy groceries on sale only. Like if I, if I ever had the to-do list and to get the stuff, which I do often, I'll just stop at the store and get stuff for the family. She'll ask me right when I get home. And I used, this used to drive me nuts. She would say, did you get the one on sale? And I would always say, I don't know. <laughs> I just grabbed the ham. And then I grabbed the cereal. And, and she would say, well, there was, this, there was this sale going on last week. I saw it. It was like $3 off. And I was like, ah. My, internally, I was basically thinking, I work too hard to squabble over $2 for ham. I'd rather just walk up like a king and grab whatever meat I want and put it in my cart. I'm not looking at the sale prices. <laughs> you know, that was in me a little bit. And same, the other way that that was in me, and this is so silly, we go to Chick-fil-A every week. I, I've told you guys this multiple times. For like 12 years, we do Chick-fil-A once a week with our family. It's like part of our Sabbath. And true story. And she, she always wants to make sure I scan the Chick-fil-A app so we get points. Anybody out there do points to Chick-fil-A? Ooh, bad stewards, most of you guys. She was on me. She was like, the amount of Chick-fil-A that we eat, do you know how much free stuff we could get if you scan it every time you get it? And I was always like, I got to get my phone out. I got to scan this thing. Is it really worth it? But gradually, whatever you do with the seemingly small things repeatedly over and over again in every, er in every area of your life, and especially over the years, you end up saving a ton. Have you guys noticed that? You save a lot. And then if you magnify the, with the principle, whatever you do with a little bit is the same thing you will do with a lot. That, that's a humble pill for some of us. Like I know a lot of people when it comes to, to giving, we're, we'll talk a little bit about tithing and living generously next week. Uh, when it comes to giving and tithing and things like that, which I believe and I'll teach about, uh, some people are like, I'm gonna do that once I make $50,000 a year, then I'll do it. Right now I make 30. And I, you know, depending on how well I know them, I may call them on this or not, but almost 100% of the time, whatever you do with 30 is the same thing you're gonna do with 50, right? It doesn't matter how much you have, it has to do with what you do in any given situation no matter what moment you're in financially right now. And that's just truth. So it comes down to savings too. And I'm gonna read you a quote. Don't put it up yet. This is a hard hitting quote from Charles Wesley, actually John Wesley's brother. Um, both ministers, founder, uh, anyway, not gonna get into all that. Great men of God that had really good things to say. I'm gonna read this quote first. It's gonna feel like a punch in your stomach. Uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, I don't necessarily wholeheartedly endorse every little bit of it as strongly as he says it. But here we go. Whenever you expend anything to please your taste or other senses, you pay so much for sensuality. When you lay out money to please your eye, you give so much for a stronger attachment to these pleasures which perish in the using. While you are purchasing anything for the admiration of men, you are purchasing more vanity. Had you not enough of vanity, sensuality, and perishing? 
Was there need of any addition? And would you pay for it too? What manner of wisdom is this? Would not literally throwing your money into the sea be a less mischievous folly? (laughs) That one will take the wind out of you, am I right? Here's what I wanted to clarify about that. I believe biblically that it is perfectly fine to, let's say, go on a date night with your spouse or or go out on a special evening with friends, with some dear dear people and spend a little extra on a good steak dinner because it tastes really good. I don't think there's anything. I think God gave us a beautiful world with wonderful things to enjoy. So this is not like some legalistic thing where you have to be fretting over every dollar you're spending in that sense. But the spirit of this, I think, is really true. Uh, A lot of times we are spending in order to get somewhere that we think we need to be because of our lack of contentment. We, we, are, we are thinking this is going to meet some need for us. Upgrade the house, upgrade the car, upgrade the shoes, upgrade the restaurants, upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. Why? Because they are, and they are, and they are. It's it, any kind of keeping up with the Joneses or the Kardashians or whoever it is you're keeping up with down your street is going to lead you down a path where you are spending money to fuel your own sin of comparison and of trying to find your identity. Are you tracking with that? That's why he's saying, wouldn't it be better to just take that money and throw it into the ocean? Don't pay to feed your vanity. I especially loved his point If you're purchasing something for the admiration of men, you're paying for vanity. So these are the kinds of areas that we can really honestly look at and say, okay, how can we save more by spending less and be a benefit to our own soul and be more of a benefit to the world around us because we will have more money to bless people with. And that's on top of already more peace of mind in your own finances because you, you can build more financial margin than you realize. I know this is like heavy Sunday morning stuff, but are you guys with me on this? A few are with me. I know it's heavy. What we're gonna do because of time is the last point, give all you can, is gonna punt to next Sunday. That happened in first service too. I thought that might happen. Um, and now it just means you have to come back. So I don't know what you're doing next Sunday, but now you're going to be here because you need to hear the conclusion of this message. If you only do gain all you can and save all you can without what you'll hear next week, it's no good. So you must come back. You with me? (laughs) I'm joking. You can always watch online. You can check the message anywhere else. If you can't be here, I'd love for you to be here. It's going to be a really fun Sunday, Uh, but I'll have a new note card for you, for you note takers that includes everything, and we'll add on the last piece. And the elementary kids will be in here with us for that sermon. Let me invite the band to come back up. What we are going to do today, even though I didn't finish the message as a whole, let's respond to the Lord in regards to whatever he's saying to us today. That's what I believe in. God, what are you saying to me, and what are you calling me to do about it? So can you close your eyes and bow your hearts with me? Lord, we are so grateful today for how you meet our needs. Thank you for your provision in our lives. Like that song says, all my life, you have been faithful. Thank you for giving me food to eat. Most of us had a meal this morning. 
Most of us had several meals yesterday, several meals on Friday, several meals on Thursday. We're going to have a couple more meals today. We're going to have snacks between those meals. We're going to have money to buy meals for other people. We're going to take care of kids and grandkids and parents and siblings. We're going to hang out with friends. We're even going to have money to go to restaurants sometimes, like the greatest restaurant of all time, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Thank you that you have given us food. Thank you that you are my provider. We're living in so much abundance that we sometimes don't even have deep gratitude for the food we're eating. We're just so used to having it. We're just so used to grabbing whatever we need at the store. We're just so used to, even if we have a craving, being able to find whatever it is we're craving. But God, we want to pause this morning and reflect and remember the faithfulness of God in providing food for us to eat. Thank you, God. Church, will you join me in just thanking him? Thank you that you've provided bread for us, Lord. Nutrients, nourishment. It makes me, it makes me, when I really sit with this, it makes me want to weep just thinking about the nourishment you've provided for my children. In even just these first 12 years of raising kids, you've provided so much nourishment for my kids. May I not take it for granted. I thank you. God, I thank you for the clothes that are on our backs right now, the shoes and the socks and all the various garments that we're wearing. Thank you that all of us here, we have closets full of stuff at home. We have stuff that we give away to goodwill. We have stuff that we give to grace works. We have stuff that we hand down to others. We have stuff that we throw away. We have an abundance of clothing. Thank you, God, that you've been faithful throughout our entire life to provide the money that we need to purchase clothing, the money that we need to purchase food. God, thank you that you've given us shelter. None of us, as far as I know, were sitting outside in the storm yesterday. All of us had a roof to sit under. Most of us had multiple roofs we could sit under. We have a vehicle or we have two vehicles. We have a home, we have an apartment. We have lots of friends that have other homes and other apartments. Thank you for the money that has provided us shelter. All my life you have been faithful, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Help me to remember that you are a good provider. Give me contentment in my heart. We have so much abundance that we've spent so far and above and beyond what we need on things that we like. And that's not bad. Lots of that is so very good. Hobbies that bring us life. Trips and vacations that become incredible shared experiences with loved ones. Education. We forget that education is such a luxury because we have the money for it. Thank you, Lord. All my life, you've been faithful. Pour contentment into my heart, God. Help me to think differently about how I gain. Let's just bring that before the Lord, church. Do it for yourself. If I'm, if I'm trying to gain for wrong reasons, if I'm, if I'm trying to make money basically my security God, or if I'm eager to get rich, or if I think it's going to be the solution to a million problems, forgive me, God. That is not why I want to gain. I've been there myself, church family. I have felt that in my heart. If oh, I just got to figure out ways to gain more, and then, God, forgive us for that kind of thinking, for idolizing money. Teach us the right way to think, the, the right way. Help us to pursue righteousness, to pursue your way. And then help give us wisdom in our gaining.
that it would never be at the expense of our soul or any other person. But that being said, give us wisdom and shrewdness. You're the one who gave us that story we read today about the crooked employee who actually went too far with it. Give us the, the healthy portion of that. Give us new ways of thinking about how we are earning. And God, give us new ways of thinking about how we are saving. Help us, like we talked about last week, to simplify our lifestyle. I feel like we as a church need to really commit to this. We live in a lavish culture that is filled with empty promises about money and possessions and status and power. We want to empty ourselves of all these things, God. We want to save. We want to live with margin. We want to live with contentment and simplicity. And we want to give. God, I thank you for all these things. And church, as we just stay in an attitude of prayer and surrender, let's sing this chorus. All my life, you've been faithful. That's our simple prayer, God. As we close this gathering, may our mouths be full of singing of your goodness this week, this afternoon, as we gather around food and fellowship and fun and work and school. May we sing of the goodness of God. I'm going to pray this benediction over us, church. Then we'll be dismissed. Uh, I encourage you to meet someone here that maybe you don't know yet. Um, as, we, as we build these two different services, we want you to build connections where you are and uh, get to know some people, get connected into the actual life of the church. Let me pray this benediction. Go now in peace, for Christ has called you to live in peace among your brothers and sisters. Go now in courage, for Christ has called you from the places of your life to be agents of redemption and partners in healing. Go now in joy and thanksgiving, for Christ is our light. Go now as one body to love and serve God as you love and serve the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great afternoon.